The IEP is your distance learning plan. I have seen some districts ask parents to waive their IEP in writing and instead agree to an alternative distance learning plan. It's fine to have a plan in place for how that IEP is going to be implemented during COVID, but do not sign any waiver. Don't ever, ever, ever waive your IEP. I'm Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine-year-old daughter with dyslexia, who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our life seemed to turn upside down for a while, quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside-down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Today, we are back with Sabrina, and we are talking all about the IEP. And this IEP boot camp has been amazing. We are now on part three, and we are going to be talking today about well, we're going to give you a little flavor for the types of IEPs. We're really going to dig into the, the annual IEP meetings and talk a little bit about what you may be experiencing right now with distance learning, with COVID, and something we like to talk about from time to time, which is compensatory education, which you may not even be familiar with. So we're excited to bring that information to you today in part three of the IEP boot camp. Sabrina, thank you so much for being back with us again today. Thank you so much for having me back. It's been a wild ride. I love it. Yes, I, I've enjoyed part. For those that haven't had a chance to listen, part one, we talked all about Sabrina's story. We gave some tips about, I, about the IEP meetings and the processes. Step two, we did a goal writing workshop in part two, and that was just a lot of fun. I think you'll find some real value in that. So if you're just jumping in and you're listening to part three, you're fine to continue to listen to part three, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to the entire IEP boot camp you will find value in every episode, I promise. So if you'll go back and do that, I think you'll find that uh, just kind of all flows together. But you're fine to stick with us today as we roll into part three. And as we get started, we're going to start off talking a little bit about the types of IEP meetings, just so you'll, you'll, you're, you as the parent are familiar with the different types of meetings and what types of meetings you can ask for. Yes. All right. So um, there are typically three types of IEP meetings, but I do want to first mention you can call an IEP meeting at any time, absolutely any time. So don't ever feel shy about, you know, asking for one if, if that's something that you need. So, uh, hey, but generally speaking, so can I ask oh, a question? sorry. Sure. So Sabrina, so let's say I need an IEP meeting. I know we're about to talk about the different types of IEP meetings, mm -hmm. but let's say it's right now and it's I guess what, February, and I need to call an IEP meeting. How's, how's the best way for us to do that? Is it an email? Is it a phone call? Is it a note in the backpack? How do you usually recommend, <laughs> <laughs> if they're going to school at this point, how is the yeah, best way, how's the best way for us to ask for that? Uh, because I know we talked about document, 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 and some other lessons. My preference is for email because it's usually, it, it's non-confrontational, uh, you don't want to be sending, you know, certified letters to the school. You know, it, you're asking for a, a, an antagonistic response and you don't need that in an IEP meeting. So I prefer email. You do want to document it that way. You know, it's going to be saved. It's going to be printed out. That's fine. Uh, do not send notes in your child's backpack. <laughs> do not call the principal or call your student's teacher and say, hey, I think I need an IEP meeting. Don't do that. Send it in an email, send it to the entire IEP team. And, you know, there are certain timelines that apply. Um, just get that in, in writing. And then, you know, I, what they have like 30 days to uh, hold the IEP meeting. So just kind of, you know, set, set some reminders in your calendar, uh, stay on top of it. If you haven't heard from anybody, you know, after a week or so, maybe follow up, but um, email is always my preference. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, as far as like the general types of IEP meetings, uh, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the initial IEP meeting. Uh, That is the review of the initial evaluation. Uh, You discuss eligibility for special education services, accommodations, and then, you know, obviously crafting goals to meet your child's individual needs. The focus of an initial IEP meeting is eligibility. After that, once the IEP is crafted, typically have an annual IEP meeting. So once a year. And the IEP team must meet at least annually to review the student's needs, uh, check on progress towards goals, uh, make any revisions that may be necessary. And so the focus of an annual IEP meeting is on progress toward goals. Is your child making progress? Are they meeting their goals? If they're not, what can we change so that they will meet their goals? Uh, And finally, there's a triennial IEP. That's every three years. That is where reevaluation takes place. Um, Typically, students are given, you know, they're reevaluated. They're giving their initial evaluation tests again. Um, And they're looking again to see progress towards goals, uh, make any revisions to the IEP that may be necessary. uh, But there is that added evaluation piece in a triennial IEP. Right. So let me ask you a couple of questions that people might be thinking about as it relates to the annual IEP, because for most people, we are about to get into that annual IEP season, although it's, you know, sometimes it's throughout the year, but it seems like in the springtime, there's a lot of annual IEPs. So as we think about preparing as a parent, as a mom, preparing for those meetings, you know, I know one big piece of the annual IEP is to really talk about progress monitoring, which really reflects back to what we talked about in the last part in part two about making sure our goals, you know, our goals are tracking what the needs are, or they're based on the needs. And then the goals are then, you know, determining what type of services that the child has. So let's say we have some smart goals in place. Well, how, well, you know, why is it going to be important for us to be thinking about progress monitoring in the annual IP? Well, you obviously want to see if the services that are being provided are working. Um, You know, if they're not or you're not seeing as much progress as you would like or that you would expect, um, now is the time to reevaluate that. And, you know, the the other part of that, too, is eligibility for ESY, extended school year, Um, just because particularly with special needs kids, you can have that regression over summer. And if they need a little extra support, uh, maybe that's something to revisit. And if you're not already eligible for extended school year, um, February, March is a great time frame to start that process. Start reaching out to your school, your IEP team and saying, hey, you know, the progress isn't what I had expected. Can we meet? Can we talk about this? Um, I'm really worried that my child is going to um, have summer slide, you know, and what can we do about possibly doing extended school year um, or, you know, coming up with a plan so that there isn't that summer slide. Yes, we, that, that happens unfortunately way too often. So yeah. when, we're, when we're thinking about, too, that the ESY piece is important for us to be aware of, because not everybody may be aware of, of that's available to ask for. So I'm glad you included that. When we're thinking about preparing for the annual IEP meeting, as a parent, is there anything that I should be prepared for? Like, what should I, is there anything that I should be prepared to bring to the annual IEP? Is there any information I should provide as a team member? We talked about in part two that we are part of the IEP team as the parent. And so is there anything, you know, and if you didn't listen to that one, please go back and listen to part two, because you'll, that part two is important. But as we think about the annual IEP, are there things that we should bring to help facilitate that meeting for that meeting to be the, you know, the most successful that we can be for our child? Sure. Uh, Well, if you listen to part one, you heard us talk about keeping a notebook or keeping a diary. It's really, really important that parents keep track of their child's progress and things that they're seeing at home. Because again, the teachers, the IEP team, they don't see what goes on at home. 
And, uh, you know, we talked about the example of homework should take 15 minutes, but in your child's case, it takes an hour and a half. That's something that you can document and you should be sharing that with your IEP team. So I would say, make sure that you're keeping really good records, keeping good notes about what you see at home. Um, what progress do you see your child making? What are still areas of concern? Uh, watch for patterns and see if anything jumps out at you. Bring that data, bring that notebook to the IEP meeting. And, you know, as you go through the goals, you know, obviously the school, they're going to ask you, do you have any parent concerns? What, you know, what do you want to talk about? And again, you're an equal member of the team and you should be sharing that because they may be able to address those challenges, you know, and we want to celebrate successes, things that are working and things that aren't working so well. How can we make adjustments so that it meets your child's needs? And thinking about that and thinking about bringing documentation and really talking through with the team as to, you know, we've got these SMART goals, as we talked about in part two. And so we were able to look at what, what were we measuring? What was the results we were looking for? And so now, you know, just encouraging people to, you know, don't stop asking questions. If you, if your child didn't meet their yes. goal, ask questions about that. Is there something different we should be doing? Are they providing, you know, services enough you know, are they getting the services that they need? Do they need to increase a day? Do they need to look at a different program? You know, ask questions. And like you said, I love the part, Sabrina, about what is working too, because if we're seeing a great progress in one area, can we do more of that? Like where, where are we seeing progress? And then exactly one piece I'd love for you to talk about too is, you know, is there any type of, as we think about the, the goals and we think about really that progress monitoring and looking at, you know, what have we, what has the child achieved and where, where is now their new benchmark? Cause maybe it's moved when we're thinking about those pieces, are there any red flags that you can think of that you tell parents to watch for? Or can you think of any meetings that you've been in and you're like, mm, that's a red flag. I should, you know, that, that we could share with folks to be aware of. Like if you hear someone say, I'll give you an example. Let's say we were in a meeting together and someone said, let's just give it some more time. <laughs> that's kind of, you know, we hear that a lot. We'll just give it more time. And, and maybe that's a reasonable response, depending on what the progress monitoring looks like. But, you know, I throw that out as kind of a, you know, a joke, I guess, but really, I mean, what are some, I mean, I think that is a red flag, but it, it might not be either depending on what your data says, but do you see some things like that, that comes up from time to time that people can be kind of watching for? Uh, I do that. That's probably the biggest one. Um, you know, and as a mother to a dyslexic, you know, child, I've heard that so many times and it just drives me nuts because time is the enemy with dyslexia. So, you know, the faster the intervention is implemented, the better. Uh, so, yeah, that's a huge red flag. Well, let's give it time. Let's wait and see. Um, other red flags that I would say are... Um, kind of qualifiers or excuses such as, oh, well, it's because he has ADHD also. Oh, well, you know, he's a boy. Or, oh, well, you know, in the case of like a 2E child, you know, oh, but she's doing fine. She's doing great grades. Her grades are average and she's doing fine. Well, but you really have to be looking at your child's unique skill set and unique challenges. And you can't just brush something off because your child may have ADHD or, oh, but they're doing fine in school. They're average students. If you have a 2E child, they should be doing much, much better. You have to really look at you know, your child's performance versus what they're capable of. And just because they're getting passing grades, that's, that's not really the benchmark for your child, right? Right. So I would just look for things like that, or, you know, kind of excuses to kind of discount why your child may not be meeting their goals. And, and I think another one that they might possibly hear too, if, if they were to come, let's say you came to the table and you weren't happy and you said, you know, can we try this or try that? You may even hear the district say things like, well, we don't offer that here. 
or we don't oh. offer that at this school, you know, things yes. like that too. Yes. You know, making excuses as to, well, we would do that, but that teacher left. So now we don't have that available. And sometimes they're not yeah. going to tell you that, but if they do tell you that, <laughs> that's, a <red> <laughs> <flag>. <laughs> that's a red flag, you know, exactly. Yeah. Really more excuses. We can't provide that here or we can't do that or, um, you know, it, well, it's because of COVID. It's because of distance learning. That's a very timely excuse that I'm hearing now. Well, we can't provide that service because we're on distance learning right now. It, it doesn't really work that way. Those, those are big, big red flags. Another one having to do with COVID that I have heard is, um, well, we have to reduce the amount of services we can provide or reduce the amount of time uh, of special services that you're receiving because of COVID. So there's just, I, I would watch for anything that would push off intervention or any type of excuse for why they can't provide something or why your child isn't meeting goals. Right. Okay. Perfect. Well, you gave us a good segue right into the whole discussion of, of COVID-19. And for those of you that may be listening in the future, this you know may not be as timely, but I would encourage you to continue to listen because we're also going to talk about distance learning in general. And we're also going to talk about compensatory education, which could be well, it is not just a COVID issue. There are other times for yes. compensatory education, which we're going to talk about after we talk about COVID and distance learning. So if you're listening in the future or you don't have concerns about COVID, please listen or, or fast forward a couple seconds here to the next discussion. I don't want you to miss out on that next piece. But for those of us that are still in the midst of COVID, um, you know, it looks so different. We were talking about a few minutes ago that, you know, I'm in Georgia, Sabrina's in California. I've got family and friends in many states, as does she. And it looks so different right now for so many people. But what is consistent is what the federal law requires. <laughs> so yes. when, we're thinking, when we're thinking about COVID-19 and distance learning issues, can you share a little bit about what you're seeing in your practice and some advice you, you've been giving to your, your, your clients as well? Sure. So what I want to emphasize is COVID didn't change anything in the IDEA. Federal law is federal law. Your IEP is your IEP. It still remains in effect. It doesn't need to be changed due to COVID, it, distance learning. It, yeah, services does, don't need to be reduced. It, nothing changes. And I know some states are, um, like California, they're, they're asking parents to do a, a distance learning plan. And that's fine to talk about how you're going to implement the IEP during distance learning, but it doesn't replace your IEP. So please just know that IDEA is still in effect. Nothing has changed legally. Um, in fact, the U.S. Department of Education, the Office of Special Education Programs, has issued guidance on providing services to children with disabilities during covid um, schools still must ensure to the greatest extent possible that each student with a disability can be provided with special education and related services identified in that student's IEP and developed under IDEA, okay? Um, schools must ensure that students with disabilities have equal access to the same opportunities um, and no one can change federal law except Congress. So just keep in mind the law is the law. Congress has not changed IDEA and no one can change it. Your Department of Education, your school district, you know, there are lots of challenges that come along with distance learning and COVID that we were just not prepared for, but nobody has changed the federal law. So let's talk a little bit about the reality that many people are still living in even right now as, as we're recording this podcast, which is many families are still either opting in to do distance learning. You know, many parents have, especially in Georgia, have raised their hand and said, okay, I have the option and I want to do virtual learning is what a lot of people are calling it here. So I'm going mm -hmm. to do virtual learning from home or I'm going to do distance learning from home. And then some are doing hybrids and different things. But as it relates to the IEP, like you were just talking about, what are some pieces they need to be aware of as far as if, 
if they are asked to do a distance learning plan or their schools are saying, I mean, because it's a pandemic, right? I mean, we, we get to sure. some, some, to some degree, we realize that this is something that none of us have lived through, but at this point, as we get closer to being a year out, it, we can't continue. We've, we've got to make progress now with our children. We can't continue just to sit them and, and let them wait. And so as we mm-hmm. think about how do we, how do we use our IEP with our smart goals and also get the most out of distance learning and having a plan, you know, what are some pieces there that you're hearing and what are some things that you want people to know about that distance learning plan or an IEP during distance learning or virtual learning? Sure. So again, the IEP is your distance learning plan. Um, I have seen some districts ask parents to waive their IEP in writing um, and instead agree to an alternative distance learning plan. It's fine to have a plan in place for how that IEP is going to be implemented during COVID, but do not sign any waiver. Don't ever, ever, ever waive your IEP. Um, the, again, you just keep telling your school district, my IEP is my distance learning plan. Talk about how to implement it given the current situation, but don't ever sign a waiver. Um, some schools I have seen recently, uh, when schools go back into session or kids go back to hybrid, some districts are actually asking parents to waive FAPE. Uh, and that's free access to public education. So it don't, don't sign waivers. Waivers are not a good thing for you to be signing. And if you are presented with any kind of a waiver from your school, definitely consult with an advocate or an attorney. Again, be, it, it is worth Right. Wouldn't that be a good time, Sabrina, too, to go ahead and ask for an IEP meeting? Hey, it sounds like what we need to do is jump on a virtual IEP call and have a meeting about how to address these pieces that we already have set. We've already got the goal set and we get that it looks different. Um, And then, you know, as a parent, try to be as calm as you can, but yet have that conversation about how can we all work together to make sure this is working. And so when that waiver is brought up, a good response is always, well, let's call an IEP meeting. Let's bring everybody to the table and let's brainstorm about how we can, what I can do at home and what you can do at school for us to work together during this virtual learning time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And again, you can call an IEP meeting at any time. So whenever you have an issue like this one, that's a great time to call an IEP meeting. Um, I would also say that Some districts are proposing to change IEPs to include a reduction of services uh, due to COVID Um, that may not be applicable to those that are in school right now. But in California, for the most part, schools are not in session right now. And I actually just spoke with somebody yesterday where that was exactly what the school proposed. They said, well, since it's COVID, Um, we have to reduce the services that we're providing your child. Um, So do you consider that a change of placement at that point? I do. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a material change in the services. And typically the parents are told, well, it has to be that way because of COVID. Well, what are you going to say to that? Uh, Say, no, do not (laughs) agree to that. Do not sign anything again you know, they they have to get your consent to everything. So they can't make a unilateral change. So just say, no, I am not doing that. Um, Again, schools can propose anything they want, but parents have the right to refuse that. Um, If you get into a situation where, you know, you mentioned a change of placement, if you have an IEP already in place and you like it and they want to change it, you can always invoke stay put. So... And tell them what that means, because people may not be as familiar with what that would mean. Yeah, stay stay put put. means the currently active IEP must be applied. Mm -hmm. So that's always an option for you. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to um, provide everything in the IEP if they feel that they can't. But at least you have made it known that you're not consenting to a change in the IEP. You're invoking stay put. 
And you may even sometimes, uh, we talked about this too, is sometimes you may hear schools tell you, oh, no, we aren't doing that. Maybe right now, you know, during COVID, our, our, our district policy doesn't allow us to do that. Sure. But I know you talk a little bit about, you know, there is there is a difference between a school policy and the law, the state law, the federal law, there is a difference there. So just to say, no, we aren't doing that. How would you respond to that? Yeah, there definitely is a difference between school policy and the law. Um, there is no blanket. We don't do that in the law. Um, do your own research and kind of see what is available. If your school isn't providing you with options, go find them on your own. Um, the other thing too is ask a lot of questions. You know, if they say, no, we aren't doing that. Oh, okay. Well, um, what is the basis for that? Is that school policy? If it is school policy, would you mind sharing a copy of that policy so that I can see it so that we can all get on the same page? Ask questions. Questions are always your friend. So, um, the other thing too is, you know, present your research to the school. And again, ask for a prior written notice. Make them tell you in writing why the service isn't appropriate for your child or why they can't provide it. You know, it, it, it may truly be that they can't provide that service that you're asking for, but you know, if it's in your IEP, they need to do it. They're on the hook for that. But you know, anytime you're confronted with, we can't do that or we don't do that here, ask questions, ask what the basis is for that. And, you know, ask for it in writing in, you know, in a prior written notice. So, so Sabrina, another thing that comes to mind as we're talking is that sometimes with that, and those initial assessments or even the, you know, the assessments that might be done every three years or, you know, what a lot of people call reevaluation, you know, even during COVID right now, people are hearing, oh, we can't do that. So as it relates to assessments, how are you having, how are you dealing with that? Are you also seeing that where you are as far as districts just saying, oh, we're closed, not doing assessments? I have seen everything across the board. Everything from, nope, we're closed. We're not doing assessments at all. Sorry. Everything to, you know, yeah, come on in. We'll do the assessment in a, a socially distanced one-on-one -on -one type environment. So, and everything in between. So there, there's a lot that can be done. Yes, they can do assessments. If you're not comfortable doing them in person, uh, they can be done virtually for the most part. I know some people have trouble with doing virtual assessments and saying, well, it's not entirely accurate. I do have some concerns about that as well, but for the most part, it can be done. And if it can't be, there are evaluators out there that will do an IEE. There are people that will do in-person evaluations. And if your school district won't do it, then ask them to, you know, fund somebody else doing it. Because again, the law is the law. They have to do the evaluation and they have to do it within a certain amount of time. So if they can't do it, find someone who can and then ask the school well, would you mind, you know, sending my child to see this person? And I think too, Sabrina, we talked about earlier, going back to time is not your friend. So, you know, just saying, well, we'll have to wait and see. Well, we're almost at a year from being sent home in March and it, the world still looks different to us. I don't know what it will look like going in the future for education and our kids, but we don't know around from week to week what's what's really going to be happening right now. It's just a lot of unknown. As you know, a year ago, we, we knew how the assessments worked. We knew when they got stuck. We knew how to follow up. So I think that part is important for people to remember. Although we are under a pandemic and, and we get that, like it looks different and people all have their own opinions about that. But the, the important part, I think, that you talked about with the assessments is that it can be done and you yes, need to it can keep be asking done. questions. And if the question is, okay, school district, you can't do it. I need you to send me to someone who can, because this is time of the, this is timely. I need this done now. And it is urgent because you need to make a plan. You need to make a remediation plan and your child needs, you know, goals set that are appropriate and that can be measured and all the things we talked about in part two so that they can have progress. And so as they continue to slide backwards, 
that's just not where you want to be right now. And so I just want to encourage people as they're listening to us that, you know, it doesn't have to be combative, although unfortunately sometimes it is, it can just be saying, I I get your position of where you are in the district, but I have reached out to several private individuals who are available and I have several people. Would you be willing to, to send us to one of those people? Because districts can do, like you said, an IEE, those independent education evaluations where the district pays for you to go see a, a really a private facility or a private individual to do the testing. The district usually has some people that they already work with, but you can request who you want to request. There's a process for that. Exactly. And, and we can include those in the show notes as well. But I just want you to know, don't, that is to me one of the biggest detriments that can happen right now is that wait and see during COVID because not only are they possibly not being taught face to face, but they're also continuing to fall further and further behind. This is a great time to go ahead and have them evaluated so you can start making some plans, especially when they get back to face to face, you'll already have that plan in motion and can, can just, you know, have that seamless instruction. So I just think that's, I just don't want people to wait um, yes. on that piece and be pushed into a position to say, oh, well, we, we're just not doing that right now. Well, there are other options around that. There are. And, and I have seen this where initial evaluations are being denied saying, nope, I'm sorry, it's COVID. We can't do that. Well, the trouble with that position is child find is still in effect. Technically, that's a child fine violation. And you know, schools must identify and assess kids with a suspected disability. And if the school isn't going to identify a child who needs help in order to have equal access, that's a violation of child find in the IDEA. And like you mentioned, there are providers out there that are providing services. And if your school district can't, and you know, I guess that's understandable, but then they need to fund somebody else to do it for them. Uh, Another thing that I I wanted to bring up because I've seen it several times, um, mostly with children uh, with autism, where they receive a a para or a one-on-one aid or a two-on-one aid in the classroom, any type of special service like that, uh, that's not happening right now for the most part. And when, the school district says, you know, they have their own liability issues. We can't send a district employee into somebody's home mm-hmm. to do that. If that's something that your child needs to be able to access distance learning, there are non-public services out there that are providing that. And so they can be hard to find. You need to do your research, but go find somebody who is able to provide that service to you take it to your school and say, I totally understand that you can't provide this with a district employee, but I found this service. They are willing to come into my home to provide, you know, help for my child doing distance learning. And my child really, really needs it because they can't focus and they depend on that para in the first place and and ask the school to pay. So I I have seen that and, and I've seen it work. Okay. Good. Well, and that's a good segue into our next piece is, you know, kind of stepping back for a minute, talking again about those, those annual IEPs and those annual meetings and thinking about, okay, you're, you're there, you're, you're looking at the progress or really lack of, and especially right now, you know, we're seeing things across the nation about regression in general for our children. And and this can be COVID related, but I think really, I hope people continue to listen because I think even going in the future, this happens from time to time. So as we think about regression and that really going hand in hand with compensatory education, uh, seems like this is the perfect segue for us to start talking about that regression and, um, you know, what, what people can do when they're seeing that. Because I think if, if one thing has come out of all this uh, in the last year has been that, parents have now, you know, sitting around the kitchen table or, you know, being together in the living room or whatever, but they're seeing face to face where their child is struggling. I mean, because they're, they're, they have to be, um, 
they just don't have any alternative right now. Let me just say it that way, because they, they've (laughs) just been put in this position where they're having to do these things and having to really become even more active in their child's learning. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily because we, many parents I think are actually realizing maybe even like we talked about earlier with earlier intervention, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, conversations in Facebook groups about, you know, really young children, kindergarten, first, second grade, you know, I'm really concerned because parents are able to see things firsthand, but even so, even if you're back in the classroom and you, you're, you're looking at the, the, uh, the goals and you're looking at what were the results and the results are not showing what we had hoped to show in that year through that progress monitoring. So we've got some regression there. We've gone backwards instead of forwards. Uh, what, what's some advice you would give in that, in those times that that happens? So sometimes we will see regression and I know kids have regressed because of COVID and and school closures. And honestly, that's to be expected. Um, But sometimes you'll see regression when students haven't been provided with the services that are in their IEP, Um, when they have not been provided with FAPE for a period of time. The school is actually obligated to compensate for the loss of services by providing compensatory education. And what comp ed does is it places the student in the same position the student would have been in had FAPE been provided. So you really, you're looking for that, what would the student have done had those services been provided? Um, You know, with COVID, I'll just give an example. You know, some schools are open now, some are not still, you know, they're still closed. But in the spring of 2020, everybody was closed for a certain amount of time. So for sure, services were not being provided then. And I have seen a lot of schools say, well, we were all closed then. So we couldn't provide anything and we're not on the hook because COVID's not our fault. That is absolutely true. COVID is not the school's fault. (laughs) However, there is not an exception to the IDEA. So it's not a matter of who's at fault. It has to do with, well, were the services provided or not? Yes or no. And if they weren't, then they need to be made up, essentially. Uh, So that's really what comp ed is. And you can have circumstances aside from COVID where services are not performed, uh, you could have the school resource teacher is out on maternity leave. Um, You could have them missing days because they're out sick, because they're in other meetings. You know, if your child goes to resource only one time a week and that resource teacher has you know, another meeting that day, they miss that service. Or, you know, arguably, I actually have a case right now where the resource teacher is out and they're working with a sub. And again, of course you have to fill that space, but you have to look at, is this person qualified for the job that they're performing? And arguably, if you have a sub who's untrained in special education providing resource time, to kids in special ed, is that really providing services? It may be, it may not. I mean, you, you need to look into <laughs> your own individual situation. But, you know, there are times when services are not being provided just during the general time in the school year uh, for various reasons. And it's important for parents to kind of keep track of that you know, if you miss a few classes here and there, it's probably not a big deal. But if there's something that's systematically happening that your child's not receiving the resource time or the OT time that they're entitled to in their IEP, um, you need to start documenting that. And that's something to bring up in an IEP meeting. So even in the annual IEP, or even when we're talking about extended school year, you know, they may be having a conversation about that as well and looking Mm -hmm. at possible, you know, um, either regressions and or areas where times when services were not provided, 
I'm just thinking out loud here, you know, if a child wasn't provided, let's say a specific amount of cert- a specific amount of time a week that they were supposed to be provided, let's say some type of reading instruction. So I want to give them an example. So an example could be that the district is going to pay for X amount of hours with a private tutor. It could be something like that, like that could be, or if you've already done that and the district could reimburse you, like it's providing those services so that, you know, we're we're trying to get the child back on track, but also because like you said, I think in the very first episode, which is, you know, the IEP is a legal document. And so they are obligated to follow that legal document. And so if they don't, then they have to figure out a way to provide some type of compensatory education. And I think you're right. The teacher gets the flu and she's out for three days you know, your child's probably not going to regress that much if she's out, you know, four weeks and she has to leave the country because there's a death in her family. I mean, there's just different things that happen, unfortunately. And and so the district, but, you know, your child's going to come home and be communicating with you. So if you see that this is going to be an extended situation, there's nothing wrong with you calling the school and saying, hey, what are are we going to do here? But if you're in a situation, yeah, if you're in a situation where you don't realize it till after, or when you're going over this annual IEP, you realize, oh, well, actually we were supposed to have an hour four times a week, but we only got an hour twice a week. So I I don't, it looks like my child was missing two hours a week. Okay. Well, that was six weeks. So there's X amount of hours that now, how, how, I think you said earlier, even how are we, what are we going to do? How are we going to fill in this gap of what now, you know, she's missed and um, yeah, they have to figure out a plan for that. And, you know, yeah. You know, and if you notice something like that, you know, call an IEP meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where keeping good records really helps, you know, walk in with your notebook, tell the IEP team, you know, from X date to X date, my child didn't receive these services in her IEP. How are you going to make up the time that my child wasn't provided these services? And it may just be a matter of additional resource time in special ed, that's something that they can provide. Um, if that's not, or even after school, right? Like after school tutoring, before school, tutoring, school, Mm -hmm. you know, if if you need them to provide a a tutor for your child for a certain amount of time to get them caught back up, that's something that you can ask them to pay for. Um, if you need more intensive services, or if you had to pay, like you said, for a tutor, while they were not receiving services through the school because of COVID or whatever, again, it's a situation. It just doesn't matter why they weren't being provided. It just matters that they weren't. You can ask for them to reimburse you. You might get some pushback on that. Um, And if you do, again, that's a time to consult with an advocate or an attorney, but, you know, again, go into it assuming that, you know, they're, they are there to help you. And again, in the case with COVID or a death in the family or, you know, an illness or some kind, you know, it's nobody's fault. So don't be antagonistic. Don't be combative, but it's perfectly appropriate for you to go in and say, you know what, my child missed out on these services. How are we going to make it up? What are we going to do to fix it? Absolutely. And I think too, you know, like you were saying, just um, having those conversations and I wanted to share something I saw today. I was going to see if I can find it real quick. It was talking about really just having that partner mindset with working with the school and, you know, having that communication, you know, like you were saying a few minutes ago and and having, you know, when you have those concerns, uh, speaking up and asking those questions and, and really having that mindset, I think it was something around along the line. This was a parent that had a post and was writing about the success of their dyslexic daughter. And the part of the post that it was a Facebook post that caught my attention was the parent said, you know, don't be a second boss to your teacher. And I thought, wow, I've never really thought about it that way. <laughs> but, um, and, and, and I've been told uh, many times, uh, I pay your salary when I work for a district. So that's always interesting. <laughs> but it's not the best posture, I don't think, to be in when you're really wanting to work with the school. I get that that's not always possible. I mean, unfortunately, there's times when, you know, you may have schools that just say, 
they don't even believe dyslexia exists. I mean, I know there are situations out there, so please don't send me hate emails. I get that. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> but, you know, if you go in with the thoughts of really having a conversation and what can we do, the, the piece that I really wanted to leave them with, with when us talking about this annual IEP is if you think about part two and you think about having those smart goals and you think about that what you talked about earlier, when we talked about, I'm going to thumb back up, when we talked about those needs driving the goals and the goals driving the services. And for those of you that, for those of you that listened to part two, we talked about smart goals. So when you go into the annual IEP, what our, what our hope and goal is, is that you go in with your information that you have, that you've seen at home and that you're Mm -hmm. able to get some feedback some, some very objective feedback from some reliable sources that you've already identified in the IEP, right? You've already identified those in the goals. And so part of just having this conversation today about the annual IEP is knowing that you've set those annual goals, but now you have to have some way to monitor them to see, are we making progress? And this is a perfect time when you have those annual IEPs to have those conversations, I would think around, this is what's working. This is what's Mm -hmm. not working. And like you said, I think you said this in part one, it is a living document. So there are going to be times you're going to need to make adjustments. And so this is just at that annual IEP. This is the time of the year that we're having those. And it's just a good time for us to be having this conversation, you know, whether COVID's going on or not, you're going to have those annual IEP meetings. Yes. We, want you to, we want you to be prepared to be able to know, you know, what am I looking at? And if you've got those really good, smart goals that we talked about in part two, this part will actually be pretty smooth. It should be anyway, because you're able to yes. have those conversations. And I love what you said a few minutes ago, Sabrina, I think it was in this one. It may have been in part two, but I can't remember. I think it was in this one where we talked about celebrating. And so that's how I want to kind of end. Yes. And if you have something yes. else you want to add, which is don't forget to celebrate. Don't forget to celebrate when your child hits those small benchmarks, those big benchmarks. When you see progress, celebrate as a team with your IEP meeting. Say, you know, I'm so proud of the work we've done together and, you know, celebrate your child and let your child know how important they are and and, and, you know, at one piece we didn't talk about, which is so important, is really continuing to nurture those strengths and those passions of your child as you go along with these other pieces. That's so important Absolutely. as well. So I just yes. want to say thank you so much for being on this IEP boot camp. It has been a fun <laughs> ride and I have enjoyed it. Is there any parting knowledge that you want to share with the moms before we close out part three? But I have, again, thank you. And I've really enjoyed our time together. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun and I really enjoy educating parents so that, you know, they can be empowered to be their child's best advocate because every parent is their child's best advocate. No one knows your child like you. And I just wanted to reiterate what you said to make sure that you celebrate successes. And it's really important to remember that as parents, we are part of the IEP team. It is a true team effort. Unfortunately, sometimes that team can break down but you should never go into it with a negative um, mindset. Truly think of it as a team. We work together, speak up, advocate for your child, and try to come to some sort of a consensus. I think nine times out of 10, you can achieve something. And, you know, never stop advocating for your child. Keep fighting for them. But, you know, the best way to do that is to ask questions, bring your own data, you talk to the IEP team. They're not necessarily the enemy. So if you go into it with a collaborative mindset, I think that really helps. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I think that's, that's part of the pieces that are so essential. And unfortunately, you know, like you said, I think even in part one, you know, we, we have so many emotions that go along with dyslexia and having a child identified with special needs. And there's just all this, shame and baggage and fears and all the things that we take into an IEP meeting. But I believe if I recall correctly in part one, that's one of the first things you said to the, to to us was that, you know, if there's one thing I want you to think about is that, you know, you've got to go in. It was one of the three P's, you know, be professional. You've got to go in 
with your game face on. And even though you're hurting and it's a difficult situation, they can't hear you if they can't hear you. Right. So exactly. They got to be able to, 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 you know, and if they need to, you know, run that through with an advocate or a best friend or whoever to speak out loud, like, this is what I want to say, you know, role play if they need to, whatever they need to, to get more comfortable. Um, But you're right. I just think the spirit of collaboration and partnership, if you go in with that spirit that we're all here to do what's best for my child and reference your child, you know, reference their name, you know, all those little pieces that are more kind of psychological in place, but still it humanizes the process. I just think that they will go so much further and it'll be, you know, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. This is a journey. It's long. We get that. (laughs) You and I get that. We're in the middle of it. Um, But, you know, we don't want to set it up to be um, miserable either because we, you know, we can try to reposition things. And if you've had a bad experience, that's okay. Go in next time and just, you know, I'm here to, to learn and to share and to be part of this team and just, you know, decide to start anew. That's fine too. So, but uh, Sabrina, I just so appreciate you. And if anyone listening, uh, we'll have, you know, lots of great information in the show notes today that we'll be sharing with you that you can get at dyslexiamomlife.com. And thank you again, Sabrina. It has been a blast. and I look forward to continuing to collaborating and partnering with you on other projects in the future. And just thank you so much for spending time with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope you have enjoyed this IEP bootcamp series as much as Sabrina and I have enjoyed bringing this information to you. If you didn't have a chance to listen to part one and part two of the IEP bootcamp, I encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes as well. You'll find some valuable information in each of those episodes. If you're looking for the show notes for today's episode, you can go to dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 59. You can also find great resources there as far as your dyslexia journey or education and even finding other episodes that might be pieces that you're looking for right now. And also, as another note, please know that the information that's been contained in this IEP bootcamp, this information does not, does not constitute legal advice or any type of guarantee for success for Sabrina's uh, clients. You should absolutely consult an attorney or an advocate for advice regarding your individual case. So nothing that we've talked about in these last few episodes by any means establishes any attorney-client relationship between yourself and Sabrina or myself. So I do appreciate you listening, and I hope you have a fantastic week. And remember, you got this. 